Our sermon this morning is really good as it helps us to focus upon being the body of Christ, especially during these difficult times of the coronavirus. This sermon, it's challenging and it's, it's uplifting. And no, I'm not patting myself on the back, for we um, welcome Reverend Scott Sauls back to our live stream all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you, Scott, for your service. Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 122. Let us go to the house of the Lord, a song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within our gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Appreciate that, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. Um, uh, so our text is the 122nd Psalm today, and uh, it's the third sermon in our series on the Psalms of Ascent, and, and we're calling this one the Arriving Song. This is the psalm about uh, Israel actually arriving to the temple after their ascent up the Jerusalem hill. So I'll start with, uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, as, as most good sermons do. Uh, I, I assume that somebody in here has seen the Terminator movies, right? So the Terminator is this cyborg, or this robot that uh, is also an assassin. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's you know, role and calling in life is to eliminate or to assassinate this assassinating robot and you just can't do it. You can, you can take a machine gun, an automatic weapon and, and, and put 50 bullets into this cyborg and, and the cyborg is built so that if, if, if there's an injury, if there's a hole, it will just turn to lava and then reconfigure and heal on the spot. You know, bullet holes, lava, melt, repair. What does this have to do with the Psalms? What does this have to do with the church, the community of God, which this Psalm is especially about? You know, in January, we, we went out of our way uh, in our message to emphasize how important it is for the formation of believers into the likeness of Christ to be fully present with the local church every single Sunday. And then, just a couple of months later, we said it's extremely important not to be fully present with the local church every single Sunday because of COVID-19. We're starting to get back. We're starting to ease in. Those who are able, those who are comfortable, those who are less vulnerable to uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the more devastating potential implications of the virus, uh, are starting to inch back, and, and some who are a little bit more nervous are going outside where there's ventilation and so on for the live stream and some togetherness. 
But I, 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 I put out on social media last Monday just my assessment of our first gathering back last week. And I said it felt a little bit like a combination of family reunion, Easter Sunday, and being in a Left Behind movie. <laughs> That's how it felt. The national surveys are indicating that only 10% to 40% of people, of church people, are actually returning to gathered worship with their churches um, right now, uh, in-person worship, for a whole host of reasons. But I asked, uh, I asked a fellow pastor of, of another one of the large churches here in Nashville, what are you learning about your people uh, during this season of, of distancing and not going to church? And he said this, he says, I'm learning that my people like not going to church. <laughs> they're, they're enjoying that. And I said, really? Uh, I'm, I'm not hearing that from, from our people. Surely you're joking. And he says, yeah, yeah, we all miss being together. But that may be true of some. But what this psalm is telling us is that those who have the Holy Spirit, those who are alive to Christ, are alive to Christ's bride as well. The two come as a package deal. They don't come separately. And it's a cause for great concern. For any of us who might say, I love Christ, but eh, the bride of Christ, the church of Christ, eh, that's actually a cause for great concern. Lord, save me from myself. That, that's an appropriate prayer. If I have some sort of attraction to Christ himself, but I can take or leave the church. The truth about the church of Jesus Christ is this. The church of Jesus Christ is more resilient than the Terminator. And it doesn't feel that way, perhaps, right now. But the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I will build my church, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against her. That applies to every season of history. The New Testament church was formed under persecution. You know, Tertullian, the church fathers, said that it's actually the blood of the martyrs that, that, that has served as the seed of the church. You can't kill the church. You can't. It's impossible to kill the church. You know, you shoot a thousand holes and, and the lava's going to form and, 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 and it's going it's to re, reshape itself and come back even stronger. That's the promise. Why is this the case? Because people who love Jesus also love the bride and they can't stop loving the bride. And they can't stop longing for the bride like the Jerusalem Jews long for the temple. Eugene Peterson observes this. Going to church is voluntary. There are more people at worship on any given Sunday than there are at all the football games or on the golf links or fishing or taking walks in the woods. Worship is the single most popular act in this land. That's a fact. Hebrews chapter 10 says this to a scattered, persecuted, under duress church that was also dealing with plagues. Let us consider how to spur each other on to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's saying this to the scattered church, be careful in a time where there are a million reasons not to gather, 
not to become complacent during this time, but instead to stir your longing for the return. Don't make absence a habit, the writer of Hebrews is saying. Now, if you need to be at home online, or if you need to be out in the breezeway because of particular sensitivities and vulnerabilities, we consider that you are here. You are here with us. Now, that doesn't mean in two years from now when there's a cure and a vaccine that we will consider you here fully and fully present if we're not benefiting from your presence and if you're not benefiting from the presence of the bride of Christ. In other words, what we have had to do during this season and what still some continue to have to do during this season Don't habituate it. Don't make it your new life pattern. That's foolish. And it's destructive. And it it will create the need for the prayer, Lord, save me from myself. How could I not love your bride if I love you? How could I not want to be with your bride if if I want to be with you? See what I'm saying. Verse 7 sums it up. Why, why, why did the people of God long for the church? Because in a tumultuous world, that's where, in a world where there's murder hornets and asteroids the size of the Empire State Building headed, headed toward the earth, in the world of COVID-19, in the world of all of this unrest, security and shalom. Security and peace. The people of God, before the face of God, are your oasis on earth. Why is this the case? Because with the church are the people that we all need the most, the purpose that we all share together, and those are the only two points. So first, the people we all need most. There are three key features about the people of God that, that we're told here. First, we are family with each other. Family. I was glad, it says in verse 1, when they said to me, let us go to the house or to the home of the Lord. As was, as verse 4 says, decreed for Israel. Again, three times a year, the tribes, all 12 tribes of Israel, would, would, would ascend to the temple on the hill in Jerusalem for togetherness, for the purpose of giving thanks together to the Lord. Whatever is most meaningful to you, your enjoyment of, of whatever or whomever is most enjoyable to you will not be completed. That enjoyment will not be complete. That joy will not be complete until you've had an opportunity to share with each other. Share it with each other. You've always evangelized. I have always evangelized. And I have always wanted to share the things that bring most, the most meaning. Went with several people last night, properly social distance, of course, to Arrington Vineyards because I love beauty. I love glory and how the heavens declare the glory of God. And that's a great place in, 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 on the outskirts of Nashville to behold glory. And I had to go with people in order for that joy to be made complete. You know, we look around. And we, 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 we need to consider verse 8, where, where, where King David identifies his fellow worshipers as brothers and companions, family. All of the Bible uses familial vocabulary. 
In the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray our Father. That, that, that says that we're together. We're in this together as children of God, and He is our shared Father. The New Testament talks about the people of God as the children of God, as the bride of Christ, and as brothers and sisters to each other. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, I'll tell you who my family is. I'll tell you who my brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers are. They're, they're, the, one who, they're the ones who hear the will of God and do it. That's my family. Even more than my earthly family. Even more than people that share my last name who don't share the family of God with me. The family of God is actually my first family. It's my lasting, enduring family. When does it really hit home? It really hits home when you discover how much you need the church. Because the local church can bear the weight that no single individual, that no group of roommates or friend group, that no nuclear family can bear on its own. This past week, there, there are two... I got devastating news from, from two people in our church. One having to do with a, a devastating diagnosis of a young person in their family, and another about a devastating death from a car accident just last night. And I was texting this morning with, with one of the siblings of the deceased. Devastating sudden news, family tragedies. And in both instances, as in so many other instances, the first phone call that both of them made was to the church. There's a reason for that. Church is the place when your life is falling apart that will take you in. It's the people who will show up. It's the people who will share in your sorrow with you. It's, it's the people who will bear the weight that you and your friend group and your nuclear family do not have capacity to bear alone. And it's not good to be alone. So we are family with each other, but we also wouldn't choose each other if it were up to us, would we? The tribes, plural, it says in verse 4, go up together. There are 12 tribes. All the tribes are part of the family of Israel. And all of these tribes are unique. They have their own unique customs, norms, opinions, politics, and painful histories. It shouldn't be lost on us that this is a psalm of David. David is a member of the tribe of Judah who has been in great tension for many years with the tribe of Benjamin. The two were rival tribes tracing back to that awful season in David's own personal history where Saul, uh, King Saul of the tribe of Benjamin was trying to, had, had a bounty out on, on the head of David of the tribe of Judah. How did David respond? Well, here he's responding by including all 12 tribes, including Benjamin, in whom is his delight, which is remarkable if you consider the history. David took over as the king in the place of King Saul. And what was customary at that time would be that you would eliminate through execution every member 
of the, of the previous king's family. David didn't do that. Instead, his first question as king was, is there anyone from the house of Saul to whom I can show favor for the sake of Jonathan, the son of Saul, who was also a, a dear, beloved friend of David? And they brought to David the young Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, who was described as a disabled young man who was crippled in both feet. And Mephibosheth thinks he's being brought in to David to be eliminated. And he says, please have mercy on a dead dog like me. What can I do to you? And, and, and David says, don't, don't talk about yourself that way. I'm adopting you. I didn't bring you here to destroy you. I brought you here to adopt you. There will always be a place for you at the king's table. Growing in Christ means rejecting social Darwinism. That's the philosophy that says that if you have the power, you get to destroy those who don't have power, especially those who maybe have been a threat or an irritant or an enemy. It means tossing away the notion of Nietzsche's will to power, that the, 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 the strong eat the weak. And instead, inside the house of God, you come to love people that you ought not to like. Where enemies become friends through reconciliation, through the, the, the reconciling power that God provides, and where friends become family, also through Christ. The last thing that these people that we all need most do is spur us on. Remember what Hebrews 10 said. Let us spur one another on. Now, now we're right down the road from the steeplechase. There are a lot of equestrians in our church. Some of you have horses in your yards. What is the function of a spur? The function of a spur is to irritate so as to draw out potential. A properly used spur will, will turn a trotting horse into a winner of the Kentucky Derby, if proper, properly utilized, taking that horse from 10% of its capacity to its full capacity through irritation. Run like the wind. How does this play out? Uh, let me tell you a story about a Republican mother who said yes to her woke daughter's invitation to march downtown in a Black Lives Matter march. She went because she loves her daughter. What she discovered when she was down there was there are two expressions of Black Lives Matter. There's, there's the, the political expression and then there's the affirmational expression. And what this mother discovered is, I don't have to buy in wholesale to this whole political movement in order to embrace the affirmation that yes, black lives matter, and that no, black lives have not always been treated in our society like they do. And it's, it goes the other, in the other direction as well. Those who advocate 
for the unborn. Uh, say unborn lives matter. And we advocate, right? That doesn't mean we have to be part of a political partisan movement that, 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 that maybe adopts in certain instances methodologies and confrontation strategies that we're on board with, but we affirm nonetheless that unborn lives are lives created in the image of God. They matter. And so what this mother, what this Republican mother and, 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 and left-leaning daughter discovered together is pro-life is comprehensive. Political movements should be on, on the periphery. And what, what, what we really need to do is cherry-pick from both political movements the truth and beauty that are there in the dignity of all human beings. And this Republican mother said this was one of the most meaningful four hours of my entire life. Because of what I got to come, came to understand about my own blind spots, my own biases, my tendency to write off some important affirmations because I'm not on board with a political movement. Well, let's separate the two and let's just hold on to the affirmation. That's what this mother learned. You know, Christina Cleveland, who's a Duke scholar, also a Christian, says that if you want to know what your real blind spots are, get in community with another Christian who has different political views than yours and stay in community. Through an election year, stay in community with them. You'll learn a lot about yourself. And you might learn a lot about them as well. We are meant to be for each other. What Eve was to Adam, we are meant to be for each other. Helpers corresponding to one another. And what a helper does is give us a strength and give us clarity that we lack by ourselves. The people we all need most. Are you irritated with me for saying some of the things I just said? Good. I hope you are. Because... Welcome to church. You're supposed to get irritated here. You're supposed to get needled. You're supposed to get pushed on. You're supposed to get challenged. You're supposed to get offended sometimes. That's what happens in families. That's what happens in families. And we all grow and we mature and we become better human beings through those seasons of irritation and spurs and pushback and differences, and, and, and staying together because we're family. The purpose we all share together, that's what holds us together. Why does God give us gathered worship? Why does God give us the local church? Reason number one, to expand, not to satisfy, but to expand our personal taste for what we think is good. Remember, We've got 12 tribes here with different philosophies on life, ideologies, politics, norms, practices, diets. We have 12 different tribes, which means that it's probably best to have about 11 things that you don't like about your church. About 11 things that don't scratch the itch of your own personal taste. So I was traveling a few years ago with my family, 
And whenever we travel, I, I, I try to practice what I preach. We try to find a church somewhere, to be fully present with a local church. Even if, it's, if we're not home, then we, we, we try to find a local church where we are. And I found myself getting really critical of two things. Especially after being in Nashville for a while, the music and the preaching. How easy it is to get critical of church music when, when, a whole, when a team of people can do what they did with a melody that they had not heard until 7 a.m. today. And then you go to church in wherever, USA, and it's just not that. And of course, as a preacher, I'm always listening analytically to another preacher. Oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. Oh, that's kind of a dumb illustration. Oh, that's his take on that you know, verse is a little bit off. You're always kind of in critique mode. And then I heard a sermon from my friend in New York City, John Tyson, about these very things. And, and he, said, he said to his church, he says, you don't like the music? That's perfectly fine, because the music's not for you. We're here to give thanks to God, not to satisfy you. And then the next, I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to take this into my next vacation church experience, and I did. We went to this little church, 20 people, bivocational pastors, sells real estate full-time, and pastors very part-time. The music was not Nashville level. The sermon was amazing. I emailed the guy and I asked, please, you know, please send me those two you know, illustrations and the way that you said them. But I left thinking too, man, I didn't get a Ryman experience, but I got, to, I got to sit there for an hour and 15 minutes and see what faithfulness looks like. What a service that this brother is offering to, 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 to work full-time so that he can do this part-time so faithfully, with no public acclaim, with no sort of tangible rewards, except being able to be together with the Lord and his 20 people. I had to first get over myself and, and land at the place where the church, for me, would no longer be a performing arts venue or a shopping center. Where the purpose of worship, for me, would no longer be my own personal fulfillment, but the spiritual formation of me and everybody around me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And sometimes crappy music will actually help that better than stellar music. Sometimes a sermon that's hard to follow will, will help that better than Charles Spurgeon even, sometimes. Listen to David. This is the king. This is the guy in power. This is the guy whose position is large and in charge. Verses 8 and 9, For my brothers and companions' sake, for the sake of the house of the Lord, 
our God. I will seek your good, community of God. I will seek your good. What, may, what made David such a great king is that David didn't act like a king. In the same way that Jesus didn't. He took up the basin and the towel and he washed feet. And he says, this is how, you're, this is how you become great. The greatest among you are going to be the ones who serve. Who, who come in thinking of others, as Kyle was saying during confession time. They're, they're coming in thinking what they can get. They're coming in thinking, how can I enter into this space for my brothers and companions' sake? You know, one of the member promises that, that we have, I love it. Do you promise to support the, the church in its worship, in its work, to the best of your ability? And here, here's the thing. The more grown up and, and, and the more great a person is in Christ, the more joy this proposition is going to bring. It's not a burden. It's, it's a joy. It's a delight. One thing I've never personally understood, and this, this isn't, you know, I'm not confronting anybody here. I, I just really don't understand it. As Christians who don't like church, I just don't get it. To love Jesus but not his wife. And this, uh, this, this, this statement from Eugene Peterson was really helpful to me. He said, yeah, it's basically saying, Scott, stop feeling critical and just start praying <laughs> that, 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 that God would, would bring alive the love for the, the bride and the people of God. But Peterson writes, one of the afflictions of pastoral work has been to listen with a straight face to all the reasons people give for not going to church. There are too many hypocrites there. It's, so, it's the only day to sleep in. And if I pointed out the inadequacy of one excuse, three more excuses would pop up in its place. So I don't respond anymore. I listen and go home and pray that person will one day find the one sufficient reason for going to church, which is God. Psalm 122 is the song of a person who decides to go to church and worship God because he or she wants to. An excellent way to test people's values is to observe what we do when we don't have to do anything. And of course, we can't change the way we feel. And Peter goes on to say, remember that our feelings will lie to us at times. The test of love is not how we feel. The test of love is action. I remember Kathy Keller uh, talking about marriage. This may actually be in their Meaning of Marriage book, uh, she and Tim. Pray for the Kellers right now. Um, but Kathy relayed uh, a thought about the season of their marriage where she felt the deepest affection for Tim. And, 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 and that season was when she was sick and really wasn't able to contribute much because of her sickness. And he continued to show up and to love and to serve and to pray for her and to tend to her needs in her illness. She said it was even better than the honeymoon. Because in, in the act of loving me, he helped me to feel that he loved me, even when he might not have felt like loving me. 
You know, C.S. Lewis says a similar thing. He says, the way to fall in love with someone is to actually start loving them. What compelling reason do we have to actually start loving Jesus by actually start loving his wife? I will come alive to you if you love my wife. If you don't like my wife, meh, I'm going to have a hard time with you. It's not saying we can't be friends, but we're not going to be great friends. You want to be great friends with Jesus, love the one he loves. And recognize how much a part of her you are. What compelling reason do we have? Well, it's, it's what Christ did. It's his dying love for the church when, when there was nothing attractive about us. When we were sick, he came as a physician. The king who didn't act like a king. Though he was in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And became obedient even to death on a cross for our sake. He let himself be terminated to ensure that the Father would answer yes to his prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This wasn't because we had some special appeal. We're not God's choice people. We're God's chosen people. There's no merit in there. And yet there is an affirmation, your life matters. Your life matters. And so Jesus asks the Father, is there anyone from the house of Adam to whom I can show kindness and we can show kindness for my own sake? Is there anyone that we can treat as family who is immobilized, crippled in their feet and give a seat, a lasting seat at our table? In the same way that Jesus chooses our family for us, he chooses what we eat. No other options, just one menu item. The bread, the body of Christ, and there's one drink. The cup, the fruit of the vine, the new covenant in his blood. It's not enough to fill us completely, it's not enough to quench our thirst. But it is there to be enough to continue wetting our appetite, to keep coming back for more. Father in heaven, we thank you for the bread and the cup that you've given by giving yourself for the sake of sufferers, for the sake of sinners, whom you've turned into saints. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for your kindness and grace. We thank you for consecrating these elements, for setting them, them apart, that there is real spiritual formational meaning and purpose to what we've just done. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.